Hey there, this is Neil Gorman, and you are listening to The Gorman Limit, my podcast. This is episode number seven of the first season of the podcast. And what I want to talk about today comes from my activities as a professor. I teach in a school of social work, so all the students that, that I teach happen to be people who are getting either their MSW, which stands for Master's in Social Work, or their DSW, which stands for Doctor of Social Work. DSW is also a shoe store. Sometimes when you tell people you have a DSW, they think you own a shoe store. When what you're, when I'm saying it anyways, I happen to have a DSW. When I'm saying it, what I mean is I have a doctorate in social work. But it's more fun, really, when people think you own a shoe store, actually, when I think about it. But anyways, none of that is really important. What do I want to talk about on the podcast today? So glad that you asked. What I want to talk about on the podcast today is something that comes up in so many of the classes that I teach. And I'm positive that it's not something that only happens in schools of social work. I'm sure that this is something that happens in a bunch of other kind of like related disciplines and areas of study, psychology, um, probably people who are going into things like pastoral care, anything that makes up like part of the mental health profession or the helping professions more broadly. This is probably something that comes up in those contexts as well. At least that's what I think. So here's the where I got the idea. You know, a while ago, as I'm recording this, it's not, I'm like maybe two weeks into a brand new semester. And whenever I start a new semester, you know, it takes me a while to get to know students, takes students a while to get to know me. And I'll ask them questions. And I don't just do it on the first day of class. A lot of times, like for the first couple of weeks, I'll, I'll ask questions that are, help me to continue to get to know people. Uh, you know, it's like, okay, well, class just started. Well, we're waiting for maybe any stragglers to kind of trickle in here. Let me ask everybody a question. I'll do something like that. And one of the questions that I've been asking for years is, why did you, student, decide to do this? Why are you studying, in my case, social work? But I, if I was teaching psychology, I'd, I'd ask the same thing. Why did you choose to study psychology? If I was teaching a history class, I'd do the same thing. Why did you, are you choosing to study history? And I'm sure I'd get a lot of different answers, but by far, the most common answer that I get where I teach is I got into this social work or mental health because I want to help people. That's the most common answer. I hear it again and again and again. You know, one person will say it, and then if I don't say anything after that, I don't comment on it. Uh, other people tend to repeat it. You know, I'm here for the same reason that that person is. You know, they said they wanted to help people, and that's the, that's the reason I'm here too. I also want to help people. I get it all the time. And something that I've started to do, and I don't remember when I started doing this. I wish I did, but I don't. Is, you know, when I heard a bunch of students say that in response to the question, you know, why are you doing this? Because I want to help people. I responded not by going like, oh, that's just awesome. That's great. For a while, I know I did do that. I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a good enough reason to get into this. Good for you. I'll take it. But then I stopped doing that and I started to uh, follow up that answer to my question with a second question. And that second question was, what does that mean to you? And whenever I would ask that, a couple of beats would go by. People would look at me kind of not sure what had just happened. What did I just ask? You know, originally I started off, why do you want to do this? They responded, because I want to help people. And then after they said that, I would respond to that answer with another question. What do you mean? And then they'd look at me. So I'd, I'd, you know, I'd have to follow that up. I'd say, you know, when you say you want to help people, what do you mean by that? What does that mean to you? What does that look like when you imagine it happening? You know, tell me that. Tell me what do you think you helping people will entail? Those are the kinds of things that I started to ask people. And here's an amazing thing, you know, and, and I'm struck by this repeatedly and very often. Most of the time when pressed on why it is they want to help people or what that would look like, students who, who I teach are kind of at a loss for an answer. They don't have something ready to go for that. Maybe sometimes they do, but a lot of times they don't. And even when they do, it isn't something that I'd call a well thought out answer. It's more like a stock answer. You know, they'd say something like, oh, well, like I would, uh, you know, people who need stuff, I would help them get the things they need, which is fine. I mean, that's not a, that's not a, a 
like an unokay answer to what I've asked, but it's not really specific, really. It's pretty vague. Uh, sometimes people would say stuff like, oh, I would, I would be a really good listener. Okay, also kind of vague, you know. Uh, so I get vague answers or I get people who kind of don't know how to answer. And I think this is really interesting. Uh, this has happened so many times, right? I know I've said that. I feel like I'm being a bit of a broken record here, but it's, it's striking how often this happens. So now, uh, you know, let me take you in, into the next step. I ask a student, why are you here? Why are you doing this? Why are you taking this class? Why are you getting this kind of a degree? Why do you want to go into this kind of a profession, mental health, helping profession kind of thing? They say, because I want to help people. I respond to that answer with a second question. What do you mean when you say that? Um, what, when you imagine yourself doing what you've just said, helping people, tell me what you envision. Tell me what that looks like. People give me a vague answer or they are kind of like, hmm, huh, eh, I'm not sure. So then what I do is I sort of notice out loud. I say, you know, it's interesting to me. I ask this question a lot and I get that answer a lot. And then when I press a little bit, it's actually extremely common that what's happening right now is what happens next. People don't know what to say. People don't know how to adequately or accurately, I guess, describe what it would look like for them to help other people. And that's super fascinating, yeah? Why is that? My thought is that most people haven't really thought about it a whole lot. They might have thought about it a little. There's a there's levels to how much we might be able to think about something, right? We can, you know, somebody asks you, hey, are you hungry? You probably don't need to think about that a whole lot. You can come up with an answer pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm hungry. I could eat. Or, nah, I ate not that long ago. I'm good. That doesn't require much thought. There's other things that do require thought. You know, um, if you're in a job interview and you're getting asked a question you probably are going to think about what it is that you're going to answer, how you're going to answer. It's going to, you're going to think a little bit more deeply than you would if somebody asked you, hey, are you hungry? Uh, if somebody asks you, if somebody who's really important to you asks you a question that is an important question, you'll probably think about it. So example, if somebody is saying like, hey, I have this really interesting opportunity that's come my way, but for me to take it, it would require that I, you know, leave where I live right now and move to a totally different country. And they might tell you, you know, more about the opportunity and so on and so forth. And then imagine they say to you, what do you think I should do? You know, you probably have to think about that a little bit. You have to get to give a level of thought before you produce an answer to their question. And, uh, you know, in, in this exercise that I'm just describing to you, it's funny because I ask a question and people give me an answer and it, but it, it's like very surface level thought kind of answer. It's not a deep level thought kind of answer. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get people to transition into a deeper level of thinking about the answer that they gave. When somebody says, I'm doing this, I'm trying to get into this profession because I want to help people. What I want them to do is to really think, really think, deeply think about what that means when they say it. What does that mean to them? I think this is a super important question. And that's what I want to spend some time talking about on this episode of The Gorman Limit. I want to kind of like think out loud with all of you, whoever you are listening to this, about this question and about how we might want to answer it. So when the kind of thing that I just described to you in the previous section of the podcast plays out, when people say they want to help people and then I, I press them on that and I say, well, you know, what does that mean? What does that look like? So on and so forth. I really am not attempting to embarrass the person who I'm engaging with. That's not what I want to do. I think sometimes that's what happens. 
even though it's not what I want to happen. I think it is what happens. I try to make it not happen. Sometimes I'm more successful and sometimes I'm less successful, but I, I really don't want to do it. What I do want to do is get people to really think about, to really consider what the words they're using mean because what they mean is really important. Now, I think, as I said, sometimes I'm going to embarrass people even though I don't want to. And I think that a little embarrassment is actually worth it if it gets people to consider what they're saying more deeply. Uh, It's a price I'm willing to pay. So that's where I want to start off today. And I want to talk about, you know, what do these words mean? And if you're listening to this, you'll get a bit of a taste of what it's like maybe if you were in one of the classes that I do where this kind of thing comes up. You know, so, you know, people say they want to help people. I press them a little bit. They don't know really what that means. Uh, I have some recently even, I think I had a student say to me, uh, very surprised, this is really interesting. You know, I don't think I'm, I'm in grad school trying to get a master's in social work in this case. I don't think anybody's ever actually asked me that question. I don't think anybody that I can recall has ever pressed me on this, has ever been like, well, what do you mean by that? Wow. And I, and I said, you're surprised. They're like, yeah, but I, I am surprised. But you know what's even more surprising is that I haven't been asked this question. This is an important question. I was like, yeah. It's so this is a student. This is actually really interesting engagement, right? Because here's a student who didn't get embarrassed, which was really great. Instead, they were like, wow, it's amazing that no one's ever asked me that before. And I was like, yeah, let's talk about it now, right? So anyway, sometimes it doesn't go that good. But in that instance, it went remarkably well, I guess, when I, I pressed the student in that way. So let, let's talk about this. Let's you and me. I'll talk. I guess you'll listen uh, to me talk about this. One of the things I'll do is I'll write that on the board. If I have a board, all right, I want to help people on the board. And I'll say, let's talk about these words, these signifiers. Signifier is a word that I use to um, indicate words. Why do I use that? Well, it comes from Lacanian psychoanalysis, which is something which is really important to me. Rather than just saying like word or term, I use the word signifier because the word signifier indicates that when somebody says something, a, a word is something that signifies another thing. If I say the word horse right now, I don't actually have a horse. I've never owned a horse. I don't have a horse. I don't even have a toy horse in front of me right now. It doesn't matter. I don't need to actually have the thing uh, to show you what I'm talking about. I can just use the signifier horse and that signifies something for you. You have the concept of a horse in your head. It maps to the same signifier and that's that. Now, one of the interesting things about signifiers is that when I say the word horse, you know, I have a mental image in my mind of a horse you probably have a mental image in your mind of a horse, but my mental image and your mental image are probably not the exact same mental image. They're probably different in a whole bunch of ways, but they're close enough that we can talk about horses. And even though exactly what that looks like in my head and exactly what it looks like in your head are, are different, it's not so different that we don't can't communicate. That, that's an important thing. So the, the sentence, I want to help people, is a sentence that's comprised of one, two, three, four, five signifiers. Um, But I'm going to condense it down to four. The signifier I, the signifier want, the signifier to help, you know, which is a verb, and the signifier people. And so I I write those on the board and sometimes I'll, I'll do a bit about signifiers and I'll talk about, you know, this might seem like a silly exercise to do. This is a very simple, rather straightforward sentence when you see it written down here. But here's the thing, even though it seems simple and seems straightforward, there's probably a lot more richness and depth to this than we're giving it credit. So let's talk about what these mean. I, when you say, whoever you are, I want to help people, what does I mean? And again, this is one of those instances where when I do as people are probably taken aback. Sometimes people are probably annoyed because they're like, oh, seriously. But I, I do think this is an important question. You know, what is this I? Is it your body? Is it your mind? Is it a combination of your body and your mind? You know, what is the I that wants to help people? And we'll, I mean, I'll, I'll talk different classes respond to this differently. Sometimes I go faster. Sometimes I go slower. 
Some are more willing to engage in this exercise. Some are less willing to engage in this exercise. But generally, you know, people will arrive at the idea that I is, you know, uh, them, their, their body and their mind kind of together trying to do things in the world. And, and that, that's what I is. And I go, okay, cool. We'll, we'll work with that. That's good. And then I get to the word want. Okay. You know, what, what does that mean? What is it to want? You know, and people will give me synonyms. They'll talk about, you know, want means desire. It means crave. It means to wish for. Okay, good. So there's, you know, you, a body in the world that has a mind and that can act independently, that can do things and make stuff happen and say things and think stuff that that's, that's the I and that I desires, wishes for craves to help. Okay. Wonderful. What, what does that mean? What does it mean to help? <laughs> what is that? Cause it, I mean, you can do a lot of things for somebody and some of the things that you do might, they might go, Oh, that was really helpful. Other things you do, they might not think it's helpful at all. Uh, in fact, they might even think that it's the opposite of helpful. They might think that it's a hindrance what you're doing. So what does it mean to act in a way, you know, to, to desire to act in a way that will be experienced as helpful by somebody else? And this is where the, the discussion tends to get really interesting because we, we, it brings up the question of what is actually helpful versus you know what might seem helpful or feel helpful but really is not helpful for another person and that's usually really fun you know I, one of the times i did this uh the discussion was progressing along and somebody said that helping people is making them feel better and another student was like but is it always that is it always making people feel better which was great because that was the question that i was about to ask as well is helping actually just as simple as trying to make people feel better? Because if that's the case, why don't we just give people like, you know, drugs <laughs> that will make them feel better? Why don't we just uh, let them do what they want? It, it, you know, if that'll make them feel better. It's, well, it's not that simple. Helping is not only making people feel better. In fact, sometimes helping people is actually doing things that make them feel not happy at all, right? They, they, you expose somebody to an experience or something that they don't find pleasurable or, or whatever, but they do it because they find it helpful. That's something that can can come up. So uh, let me give you an example of that maybe because that, that seems like a bit of a reach. Imagine that you, you know, tear your ACL. Okay, that's probably a very painful thing. So you have to go in, get surgery, they reconstruct your ACL. Your leg is going to be out of commission for a while. And while it's out of commission, you're probably not going to be moving it very much. But eventually, you know, uh, the the stitches come out. If you're wearing a cast, the cast comes off. And at that point, you're probably going to go to like a physical therapist. And that physical therapist is going to try to help you. But when they try to help you, what they're going to do is they're going to make you move your leg. And moving your leg is going to hurt like a lot when they do it. It's not going to feel pleasant. It's not going to feel good. It's going to hurt. But it's going to be helpful even though it hurts, right? And, you know, when I engage in this discussion with students, what does it mean when you say, I want to help people? This is some of the directions it can go in. Helping people isn't, absolutely is not only making people feel nice, wonderful, pleasant, good, tickly things. Sometimes that's what it is, but it isn't all that it is. A lot of times being genuinely helpful to somebody is not going to be, you know, welcomed. It's not going to be um, embraced with open arms. It's going to entail that you get people to do things that they kind of don't like doing. Another example of this, um, imagine that you are, you know, in a, in a classroom of kids who are learning how to do division, long division, and you see a kid and they're looking at the problem and they're just not doing it. And so you ask that kid, you know, what's up? Why aren't you doing the problem? And the kid goes, I can't do it. Now, at that point, if you were to just be like, well, I'll do it for you, you know, would that actually be helping the kid? No, it wouldn't be helping the kid at all. If you were to sit down with the kid and be like, well, let's try to do it. And the kid was like, no, I don't want to. I can't. I'm dumb. You know, they might resist your help. 
And that means that you'll have to find new and interesting creative ways of continuing to engage in a helpful fashion that might actually get the kid to try to do the math problem and figure it out. Uh, How you do that will not be something that will necessarily be met with the kid going like, oh, you know what? You're right, person who's here to help me. I should try to do this even though it's really frustrating. You know, why don't you just tell me the first step and then I'll take it from, they're probably not going to do that. And if you just did what made them feel good, you might be like, here, I'll, I'll do it for you. That would not be helpful, right? This is a really important thing to consider when we consider helping other people. It, it's interesting because I, as I talk about this, you know, this is something that I come back to at multiple points during the semester when I teach different classes, because I find that without realizing it, a lot of the students that I have might have believed without realizing it, that uh, helping people was actually just making them feel nice. And they, when they go into a class that I teach, one of the things that happens is they are hopefully asked to look at that belief and consider it a little bit more. And they might modify it, they might not, I don't know, but that's one of the things I go for. But anyways, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of straying from what I wanted to do here. So let me try to get back on topic. I want to help. I, a body with a mind that can do things like talk and make things happen in the world, want, that's a desire, a craving, a wish for something to happen, uh, to help. To help is a way of using your knowledge and your skill or a combination of your knowledge and skills in a way that somebody else will find useful or will actually improve their lives. I think that's what it means to help. Now, it's not the only way it could be defined at all, but that's generally where things kind of arrive at when I do this exercise with students. So I'll say it one more time here. Uh, to help means to use your knowledge or your skills or some combination of knowledge and skills in a way that somebody else finds uh, able to, if, if they, they can use it to improve their lives. Kind of got tongue-tied there. Sorry about that. But you understand what I'm saying. And the, the last signifier in the sentence, I want to help people. People, what are those? They are other bodies living in time and space that can you know, think and speak and, and do things as well. So I might even take this sometimes a little, if students are really into this exercise, I'll talk about how you know, I, the I and the I want to help people and the people and I want to help people are all bodies living in time and space and that there are some bodies that you know, are more knowledgeable, more skilled, have access to more things than other bodies do. And, you know, desiring, if you're a body that desires to help other bodies, what that means is you want to be able to be knowledgeable. You want to have skills. You want to be able to do things that can actually then be useful to other people. But other people, as you help them, might not, helping them might not be just making them feel nice. It might also mean getting them to do things that are difficult or anxiety producing or uh, asking them to consider things that they don't want to consider, so on and so forth. So that's, uh, that's my exercise here. I've kind of talked you through it. Hopefully you found this, I don't know, useful and interesting. That would be really nice. So what I'm going to do now is do a little, another transition. And when we come back, we'll continue to talk a little bit more about what it means to actually help people. section of the podcast is talk about some of the difficulties that are inherent in actually being helpful to other people. I want to highlight, I'm saying some, actually probably just two things that I think are inherent difficulties. There are a lot of things that are super difficult about actually being helpful to people. I obviously can't talk about them all, so I'm going to talk about just a few here. So here's the first one. And I referenced this a little bit in the prior section of this podcast when I talked about, you know, the physical therapists helping people regain range of motion 
after they have surgery on their leg or their arm or something, you know, as you're, you're moving that person's limb, they're going to be experiencing pain. You don't want them to experience pain, but they have to, if they want to regain the, you know, close to the full range of motion on the thing that has been injured. Um, I talked about helping kids with math. Um, that's an example kind of close to my own experience. I am somebody who is terrible, terrible, terrible at math. I'm, I've always been bad at it. I'm still bad at it. And I remember being a kid and being bad at it. And, you know, I would, I would sit and I'd have to do my math homework and I would complain about it. And I'd, I'd try to convince my parents to sort of like, let me off the hook, i.e. give me the answer, you know, do the long division problem or whatever for me. Uh, I, I did that, right? Because I found math so frustrating. Uh, but my parents, luckily, I think for me now, looking back at it, they didn't do that. They made me do my math. And they, and, and in essence, what they did is they made me feel the frustration. They didn't rescue me from the frustration. They didn't tell, they weren't like, oh, you're frustrated. We don't like seeing you frustrated. Oh, you're sad. We don't like seeing you sad. So what we're going to do is rescue you from this math homework that's making you frustrated and sad. They didn't do that. Um, the physical therapist, they're not going to, you know, want the person who they're, you know, doing physical therapy on to feel pain, but they're not going to be able to rescue them from feeling that pain. It's just inherent in, you know, getting range of motion back, right? So that's the first point that I want to make. Really being helpful to people a lot of times means not rescuing them from something which is super difficult. It means not removing something from their lives, even though you might kind of want to. So let's be a little bit more specific here. A lot of people are going to have things in their lives that are causing them stress or anxiety or frustration or sadness or guilt or some other kind of negative emotion. And what is going to be really helpful to people is having the ability. This is one of those things that's, that's a kind of like I talked earlier about having the knowledge and the skills to actually be helpful to people. That's what I'm going to try to describe now. Having the know-how to be able to identify and differentiate between times when it is actually appropriate, useful, helpful to say, oh, you're experiencing something. You really don't need to be experiencing that thing. Let me do something that will remove the whatever it is that's frustrating you from your life. I'll give you an example of that. Say that somebody uh, here, this is something that actually happened to me. Um, I don't remember how many years ago this was at this point, but my wife and I had gone on a vacation and we rented a car. And I remember we had to gas up the car. I was driving and I pulled into a gas station and I did what I would normally do if I was driving the car that I normally drive. I pulled in so with uh, so that the driver's side of the car was kind of facing the gas pump. And it turns out that this car, the the gas uh, opening wasn't on that side. It was on the passenger side. So I had to get out and like, you know, remaneuver the car. And, I, you know, I filled the car up with gas and I was like, man, I hate this. I hate when I, whenever I have somebody else's car or I'm driving a rental car, how I'd never know what side the gas thing is on. And my wife told me, I was frustrated, right? It's a minor level of frustration, clearly, but it was frustrating. And my wife said, hey, check this out. If you look down at the dash, you see the gas gauge. Yes, I do. You see the little thing that looks like a gas pump? Yes, I do. She said, if you look, you'll see there's an arrow on one side of that icon. And it's pointing either to the passenger side or to the driver's side in this car that we were in. The rental is pointing towards the passenger side. She goes, that's because that's the side the gas can is on. I didn't know that. I was like, I don't know, it's probably my late 30s finding this out for the first time. I was like, oh my gosh, there was this thing that frustrated me because I didn't have information. My wife recognized that I was frustrated, gave me information that removed the frustration from my life. That was nice. That was a good thing to do. Again, very, very simple example, but that is a time where there was something frustrating and there really wasn't any value in me experiencing that frustration. If I was going to be frustrated about it, I didn't gain anything. I didn't, it just, it just was being frustrated needlessly. And she had something, she had knowledge and giving me that knowledge removed that needless frustration from my life. So sometimes that can be the thing that can be a way that you react, but that isn't always the way that it is. Like, so in the physical therapy example I gave and the kid doing the math problem 
example I gave earlier. Those are times where you don't want to just remove the thing which is creating pain or is creating you know frustration or anxiety or sadness where what you actually need to do is help the person kind of like get through the pain, get through the frustration. So in the physical therapy example, you know, like I said, if somebody wants to regain the range of motion in their arm, the feeling pain is just part of what you got to do. If you don't feel the pain by moving your arm, you're not going to regain the range of motion. If you are a kid and you hate doing math, you're not going to learn how to do the math unless you kind of have somebody who makes you do the math and go through the frustration of probably not being good at it. Those are, are two examples of times when it's it, the rescuing somebody from the thing which is hard would be like a really bad idea. Really being helpful, being truly legitimately actually helpful to another person a lot of times is going to mean that you don't try to save them, rescue them from something that is hard. I'm going to try to give you some examples of this that are a little bit more mental healthy so that it might make some sense in a different way. So here's the first one. This is not my story. This is a story I heard um, on a different podcast, a podcast called On Being, which is uh, a very successful, very famous podcast. There was a guy being interviewed on this podcast. His name is Parker Palmer. And Parker Palmer is a dude who runs groups for people. He does a lot of things. One of the things that he does is run groups for people. And he was saying in this interview that one of the rules for his groups is no rescuing people. Uh, to kind of give you a little bit more context here, these are groups that might be called support groups, groups where people come to them because they're going through something difficult and they want support. And what Parker Palmer does is he creates a rule where if somebody is talking about something which is hard or difficult or they're kind of like beating themselves up or something like that, no one should should jump in and rescue them from whatever it is that they're experiencing on an emotional level. He wants them to not do that. And he tells a story about a guy who came into his group and this group member was talking about his job and was talking about how his job gives him a bunch of money and really good benefits. And, uh, you know, it asks him to do things that he doesn't really want to do. It asks him to take part in activities that he feels are kind of unethical and wrong, but he does them because he gets paid really well and he has really good benefits. So effectively, he's describing a situation where he does something that he believes is unethical, wrong, and he says that he does it because he's greedy, because he likes having money, and he feels like that makes him a bad person. Now, I think what a lot of people would do in this situation other group members, what they'd want to do is they'd want to rescue him from the guilt that he's feeling. They'd want to jump in and be like, you shouldn't feel that way. Everybody needs money or something like that. But in Parker Palmer's groups, that's not allowed. You can't do that. You have to just sit with the person as they go through whatever it is they're going through. And that's what happened. And, he, and Parker Palmer tells the story. He says people sat there and he could look around the room and he could see a bunch of people like kind of like sitting as if they wanted to say something and kind of looking over at him like, hey, can I have your permission group leader to say a thing to this guy to make him feel better? And he was shaking his head no. And, you know, time went by, time went by, minutes went by. And then eventually the dude who told the story spoke up. He said, you know what? I think I've realized something really important. I think I've realized that um, for years, you know, I've, I've known that I've been doing this thing that I don't want to do. And for years, people have been telling me that it's okay. And just now in this group, I told you all about it and no one told me it was okay. And that sitting in that uncomfortable silence that we all just had made it very clear to me that it isn't okay, that what I'm doing is wrong and I need to stop because if I don't stop, the cost is that I'm going to have to live with the guilt and I don't want to live with the guilt. I'd rather not have it. So I have a choice here. I can have money and guilt, or I can find a different way of making money and possibly not have the guilt. I think that's what I need to do. I will suggest to you here and now that this dude in this story would not have arrived at that conclusion had somebody else, the group facilitator or a group member, rushed in 
and attempted to rescue him from the guilt that he was feeling. I think that would not have happened. And this is the thing. When we are in a profession, uh, a vocation, a calling that requires us to be with people who are going through difficult things, a lot of times, probably more often than we think, what will actually be helpful to them is not doing the thing where we say something, where we do something, where we try to rescue them from whatever it is that they're going through. What's actually going to be helpful, really helpful to them, is sitting with them and witnessing them going through a thing or giving them what we might think of as the minimal amount of assistance so that they can get through the difficult thing. It sounds easy to sit there and and witness. It's not though. It's actually really hard. You know, I, I have kids and one of the things that having kids has taught me is just how hard it is to witness them going through something hard. My kids, and if you're listening to this and you have kids, you probably have many instances of this yourself. Um, or even if you don't have kids, if you just have somebody in your life who you care about, you can probably relate to this in some way. If you have somebody in your life, a child or somebody who you care about, there's going to be times where you see them going through a, a really difficult thing. It could be something like trying to do their math homework, or it could be you know, figuring out that they need to um, get out of a relationship or, or something like that. And if you attempt to rescue them, what might end up happening is that you'll be preventing them from feeling whatever it is that they need to feel, whatever combination of weird, nasty, unpleasant emotions they need to feel in order to come to the conclusion on their own that they need to do something different. And that's not helpful. It's not helpful to do that to people. It's actually more helpful a lot of times to be with them, to not look away from their situation, their suffering, be with them, and wait patiently for them to come to some kind of an epiphany realization or other experience that helps them see that they need to make a change of some sort. That can be really important. Knowing when to do that versus when to actually, you know, help a person by giving them information or um, helping them get somewhere or something like that. This is important. It's really, really, really important. Sometimes you do want to actually do things. You want to tell people, hey, look at the gas thing. There's a little arrow that tells you this thing that you don't know. Ah, oh my gosh, my life will be slightly easier now because I know that. Thank you for helping me. And other times when we're talking about like really serious stuff, this is when it's really helpful to just kind of like let somebody get through it. And I want to be very careful with this, right? Like when I want to make something else, I think hopefully clear, this might be clear, but just in case it isn't. Uh, the example I gave of like jumping in to help me, that was a sort of silly thing. There are really big things where people actually do need help. People who are in poverty really need help. And I think it would be really dumb to, to say, you know what, somebody who's in poverty, I don't need to rescue them from poverty. I need to let them just sit in their poverty so that they can figure out they need to get out of it. That's not what I'm saying. So I, I want that to be totally clear. When people need help, sometimes you, you give them help. And that help might be access to resources. That help might be information, etc. Sometimes that's absolutely the thing that we should be doing. What I am trying to say is that when we're dealing with kind of complicated emotions, usually the emotions of stress, anxiety, frustration, guilt, sadness, sometimes those emotions, when somebody's going through those, what we don't want to do is jump in too soon and try to rescue them. Because if we do that, what we're preventing them from having is an experience that will convince them that they might want to, in a sense, rescue themselves. And I think that's important. There's, this is a, an issue of wisdom. It's difficult to be wise enough to know when to, you know, act and when to just witness. It's really, really tough. I want to tell you one more story. It's kind of similar to the last one I told about the dude who was in the group with Parker Palmer. Uh, this is something that happened to me along many, many years back at this point. So I knew somebody and uh, this is somebody who was attempting to have kids. They, them and their partner, they, they wanted to have kids. And the person who I'm talking about was a woman. She was trying to become pregnant. So 
that her and her partner could have kids. And her and her partner had tried a lot of things. Like they've been really trying to have kids for a long time. If you can think of all the things that you can do to have kids, they were doing, they, they, they did them. A lot of these things are very expensive. They, they paid the money. They had done the stuff. And, um, sometimes they had gone through this really, really emotionally awful thing where she would get pregnant and then she'd have a miscarriage. And I, if I'm remembering correctly, she'd had three miscarriages. And after her third miscarriage, she was, she'd gone, my, my friend had gone and talked to her sister about this experience. And she was very sad. And her sister said to her, you know, I think in an attempt to rescue her from the sadness she was feeling, her sister said, everything happens for a reason. And that did not help this person who was trying to have kids and who had had three miscarriages, hearing that everything happens for a reason, even though, you know, the person who said it probably had good intentions, it didn't help. It actually made things worse. And I remember, uh, my friend was telling me about this when she told me the story, I said, uh, that sounds really awful. And she said, yeah. And then I didn't say anything and she didn't say anything, but she did cry. She wasn't like weeping. She was crying. She just cried for like, and I'm not making this up. I'm trying to, to not exaggerate here at all. She cried for probably about 20 minutes thereabouts. And I didn't say anything during that time. And she didn't say anything either. And then she was just like, you know, thanks for, for this. This was nice. Actually, you didn't, you just let it be awful. And you didn't, you didn't like, you know, say something dumb and you didn't like leave. You were just, you were a good friend. Thanks for that. That was really helpful. Just kind of like being there and witnessing this. And I, I mean, I, I found myself in that instant wishing, truly wishing there was something I could say or do that would make this situation better, but there wasn't, there was nothing I could say. There was nothing I could do. And so I was just there. And my friend said that actually helped, helped a lot more than her sister saying everything happens for a reason, right? Sometimes trying to rescue people can backfire. It can mess things up if you do it, if you're not careful. And just being with somebody can be the thing that actually gets them through it. So uh, those are two of the inherent difficulties. You know, the first one is that we have a desire, I think, very natural, very normal desire to rescue people from things that are making them feel things that are hard, you know, but heeding that is not always going to be the right thing. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. We got to be wise enough to know the difference. And uh, the other difficulty is that when we do need to just kind of like witness with somebody, it it's not an easy thing. It's a really weird kind of experience, but it can be the most helpful experience sometimes. So those are the difficulties that I wanted to bring up. And there's many, many more, but those are two that I wanted to focus on just for now. section, what I want to do is I think kind of just call attention to something that I think is important. And it's something that I think kind of gets in the way of being actually helpful to other people. And that is assuming that what is helpful to us in our lives will also be helpful to somebody else in their lives. Sometimes, I mean, inevitably, I think we all assume that to some degree, kind of like anytime we're trying to help people, right? It's, it's impossible to completely get away from that. But what I'm hopefully doing and asking you to think about this is getting you to consider the possibility that what works for you or what has worked for you might, yeah, be helpful to another person, uh, but it might not be. Or if it is helpful, it might not be helpful to the same extent that it was helpful to you, or it might not be helpful in the same way that it was to you. You know, everybody is 
unique. Everybody is singular. And as singular entities, you know, the, the things that we find useful, the things that we find helpful are also singular to us and don't always transfer to other people very much. And, you know, it. I see this a lot, I think, in the work that I do. Many people who I know who have gone into mental health or the helping professions have gone into it because they do genuinely want to help other people that when they say they want to help people, they do. And as I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, they can't always exactly articulate why that is, but that doesn't mean that they don't have a genuine desire to do so. Just because they can't tell me why they want to or what it would look like for them to help people, that doesn't mean that they don't actually want to. They probably do. But one of the things that I see, and I see this again and again and again, is people go into these lines of work because they have been damaged. They have been hurt. They have been broken. They have been scarred, uh, so on and so forth, in some way by the life that they have lived. And what they're trying to do, or what they, they're telling themselves they're trying to do, is that they're trying to help other people who have also been hurt or broken or scarred in some way, or that they're trying to prevent people from being hurt or broken or scarred in some way. And, you know, when I hear that, I think, okay, yeah, sure, maybe. But what I see happening oh so often is that a person is trying, has not actually reckoned with the extent of their own scarring, their own damage. They haven't really worked through that themselves very much. And in trying to help other people, what I think they're doing unconsciously is trying to help themselves. What are they trying to help themselves do? They're trying to help themselves recover from what has hurt them. And they're trying to do that by helping other people who are hurt. And I think that if that is this the kind of setup that you're going into mental health or the helping professions with, what will end up happening is you will be less likely to be actually helpful to people because what you're going to be doing is you're, you're not going to do the thing that I described in the previous section of the podcast. You're not going to be able to kind of like hold back and witness or resist the urge to just kind of like rescue people when it's a good idea to resist the urge rescuing people. You're going to jump in a lot more often and attempt to rescue because the person who you think you're trying to rescue, you, you think it's this other person, but really it's just you. You're, you're trying to rescue yourself. The person who you're trying to help, you think it's this other person, and it's not actually. I mean, yes, the other person is the the target of your attempts to help, but really what's going on deep down is is you're trying to help yourself. And what are you trying to help yourself do? You're trying to help yourself recover from something. And the reason I bring this up is, and I'm not going to like go on and on about this. I'm going to say this, I hope, very quickly and very succinctly. One of the best things that we can do if we want to be helpful to other people, really really, truly helpful to them is go through some kind of a process that helps us come to terms with as much as we can, and which is probably never 100%, but come to terms as much as we can with the things that have hurt us, that have damaged us, that have wronged us, that have scarred us in our own lives. For me, that was going through a process called psychoanalysis. You know, and, and as I was saying earlier, that's what worked for me. I don't suspect that it would work for everybody. In fact, I know that it wouldn't work for everybody. I don't think that everybody should get psychoanalysis because I got psychoanalysis and psychoanalysis was helpful to me. Um, but when I went through psychoanalysis, well, and, and I'm actually honestly still going through psychoanalysis, psychoanalysis takes years, right? Some people think that that's a flaw. I actually think it's a great thing. Um, you know, going through psychoanalysis in the way that I have has been something that has assisted me in coming to terms with a lot of the kind of like demons that lurk in my own psyche. It's helped me understand some of my own, um, the, the things that haunt me in my life, things from my past that are no longer part of my life in any kind of material way, but they continue to exist as like memories um, or as associations and they, they continue to mess with me in different ways. I'm much more aware of those things now after years and years of psychoanalysis than I was prior to going through years and years of psychoanalysis. Um, I, I, I can't say to you, whoever you are, that what, I, what will actually do that for you because I don't know what that is. But what I do want to encourage you to do is to try to find something 
that will actually help you start to dig down into yourself, your life, your past, your psyche, and help you kind of get a better look at, grasp on some of the things that are hard for you to take a look at, that are unpleasant for you to take a look at. And I, I want to urge you to do this because, and this is my attempt to try everything together, right? If you have an experience that gets you to do things that kind of like, in a sense, force you to experience stress and anxiety and frustration and shame and guilt and other things like that, and you can experience those things in a safe place with, an, with other people or another person who won't weaponize those things and then use them against you and help you process slash metabolize those things. If you can get through that, one of the things that will happen, I think as an effect, is that you will be better able to sit with somebody else who's going through those things and help them actually work through them without feeling, giving in to the desire to rescue them. That's kind of what I'm going for. And I hope that that makes my point and I hope it makes my point clearly. I don't know if it does, um, but I hope that it does. So I'm going to stop talking here. I'm going to say thank you very much for taking the time to download and listen to this episode of The Gorman Limit. I appreciate that a lot. If you want to know more about The Gorman Limit, you can go over to thegormanlimit.com. That's the website. You'll see things and stuff there. And uh, until next time, folks, please make glorious mistakes.